This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're looking this morning at verses 1 through 5. It's page 996 in the church Bibles. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. While you're turning there, I do want to say a big thank you to everyone who turned out yesterday in the church work day. Uh, got a lot of things done. Appreciate uh, those of you who were here and, and helped with that. Uh, today we're looking, as we continue, our series of studies in 2 Timothy in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for these words of your servant Paul, but more importantly, these words, your word of the Holy Spirit, your own word from your book. Father, we pray as we study this passage together this morning, that your spirit would guide us into a better understanding of what it's saying. Father, we pray that uh, in your light, we would see light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As part of the ordination service of a man to the office of teaching elder or ruling elder, there is a charge given to the man. This charge serves the purpose of being a formal exhortation or challenge to the man to carry out faithfully the work for which he is being set apart by the church. At my own ordination service, August 9th, 1992, the charge to the minister, in that case, me, was given by Dr. Tom Cross. Uh, Dr. Cross had had a long and active ministry, planted any number of churches, uh, including Mitchell Road Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina, and quite a few others besides. Dr. Cross at that time was more or less in semi-retirement. He was actually starting a uh, uh, retirement home, an assisted living facility there in Clinton, South Carolina, as in his retirement. 
Um, but he was part of the Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class that I taught. And for the first year of my ministry there, I was really doing my internship. That counted as my internship year. And so after I'd been there a year, after it passed the uh, various presbytery exams for ordination, came time for the ordination service. And he gave the charge. Now, the charge was, I think, as long as, maybe longer than the sermon. I was well charged for that uh, in that in that service. And it meant a lot to me, uh, Dr. Cross, with his years of experience uh, addressing me pretty directly. Well, years later, after he had gone to be with the Lord, his widow Jane invited me to come and to look through his library and pick out a few books that I might be interested in. So I really appreciated her generosity in that way. And of course, there were lots and lots of books, but what struck me, what caught my attention was rows of small black notebooks that were his preaching notes that was the culmination of a lifetime of ministry. And I thought, well, those look interesting. So I reached up, pulled one down, opened it up, and on the very first page, handwritten, I read, charged to Alan Johnson at his ordination. So I asked Jane if I could have that one. She said, yeah, take the whole notebook. So I've got it. It's at home. Uh, and reread it, the charge that he had given to me at my ordination, handwritten, very special to me. Well, as we come to the closing chapter of Second Timothy, Paul ends by giving Timothy a charge. Now, this wasn't the first time that he did this. Actually, the end of First Timothy, uh, in chapter 6, Paul says in verse 13 to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God to keep the commandment unstained, free from reproach. Well, as we enter here into what we know is chapter 4, Paul again ends his letter with a charge, a formal exhortation to his disciple Timothy. And as we look at these words, uh, we see laid not, all, not only for Timothy, but for us, the pattern of faithful ministry and what it means to, to do what God has called us to do here in this world. So as we look at this, uh, these, these few verses, I want us to organize our thinking about it under four headings. First of all, we need to recognize that this task that uh, Paul charges Timothy with is a most serious Task. It is a serious task. Look at verse 1. I charge you, Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Paul enters, even in the context of a personal letter, into some rather formal language. Such as one might expect at, a, at an ordination service. And yet this is what Paul was writing to Timothy. He says, I charge you, I, I give you this admonition, Timothy, in the presence of God himself. In other words, he's calling God as witness to this charge. And in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, he makes an inter-Trinitarian distinction. Of course, Jesus would qualify as God also. But singling out Jesus as the king, the head of the church, second person of the Trinity, uh, the one who won our redemption, the one who rules over us as our king. 
And mentioning God and, and, and Jesus, particularly with a view toward what lies ahead, toward Judgment Day, which, in case you didn't notice, was not yesterday. <laughs> I charge you, in the, but it is coming. I'm not going to say when. I don't know when. I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Saying, Timothy, I'm giving you this admonition in the presence of God, in the presence of Christ, who is the judge, who is going to one day judge the living and the dead. By that he means those who are alive at his coming and those who have died, but who are raised up, all of us together, all humanity, to stand before Christ. And of course, the question ultimately is, do you stand before the judge on your own record, faulty and broken, and rebellious as it is, or will you stand before the judge on Christ's record, a record of perfect obedience, your, your, your sins cleansed by his blood? Because all of us will stand before the Lord either in our own sins or in the cleansing and righteousness of Christ. But even so, even as Christians, the Bible indicates that, that we will receive an evaluation. Our salvation is not at stake. And yet there is something of an assessment. Paul seems to talk about this in 1 Corinthians. Whether we build with gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and straw. It says, you know, if it's built of these weaker materials, it may be burned up, though the man himself is saved. The question is, what are you using to build on the foundation? But the foundation has to be there if you're going to be saved, and the foundation is Christ. So in view of Christ, who is the judge, and by his appearing which is going to happen, and his kingdom, kingdom here in the world, but the fact that we will be in his kingdom here on this earth, the new earth, forever. In light of these coming realities, Timothy, I give you this charge, this admonition. I am placing this obligation upon you in the presence of God, in the presence of the king, the judge. So we see right off the bat that Paul is extremely serious in what he is saying. He's calling God as witness to this challenge he is placing on his disciple, Timothy. We recognize the seriousness of all of this. Now, whether you have uh, taken vows as an elder in the church or not, we need to recognize the seriousness of the task we are about in spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not to say there's not joy. That's not to say that we can't laugh. That's not to say we should always look stricken and afflicted. But it is to say that we recognize that we all are under a commission of sorts, the Great Commission, to carry out that charge that Jesus gave to his church, that commission, that work, of making disciples of the nations. Because heaven and hell are at stake. Eternal joy or eternal condemnation lie in the balance. You say, well, God's sovereign over all. Yes, he is. But he works through means. He works through his church. And he has told us as his church to be about that business of making disciples of the nations, uh, certainly winning people to Christ, but building them up in Christ. So the first sense we get here is that this is very serious business that Paul is about that he's talking about here. 
Not only is it a serious task, but it is a very specific task that he gives to Timothy and charges him with. Look at verse 2. Charges him. Well, here's the, here's the substance of the charge. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's a sense in which preach the word really is the heart of this, this passage. That's what Timothy is to be about. The word preach is uh, the idea of declaring, of making known, being a herald, of announcing. And that is really the substance of preaching. It's making known the bad news and the good news. The bad news of God's coming wrath. The bad news that in our sins we are under the judgment of God. Uh, but also the good news that God in his love sent his son, our Savior, to suffer the wrath that we deserved. And before he did that on the cross, to live out the obedience we could never attain ourselves, and to die as our substitute, to take our place in the judgment, so that as we turn from our sins and trust in Christ and follow Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're given that righteousness by God himself that God requires. And therefore, we're acceptable to God. We're received by God. And we will be with him forever. You see, that's an announcement. That's the hear ye, hear ye, listen up. It's a message that has to be heralded, that has to be declared to the nations. Preach the word. And preach what? The word. Paul doesn't elaborate. He doesn't need to. He knows that Timothy will understand exactly what he's talking about. And he's already said any number of times to guard that deposit of, of the gospel, the apostolic teaching of the gospel. Just before this passage, at the end of chapter 3, he talks about how Timothy has, from childhood, been acquainted with the sacred writings. Uh, we saw last time how he speaks of the scriptures, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So when he says to Timothy, preach the word, Timothy knows exactly what he's talking about. Preach that message, the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, together that uh, declare the grace of God toward fallen people, toward sinful people. So declare that message. Preach the word. But he goes into some specifics about it where Timothy is concerned. What does it mean to preach the word? Well, he needs to be ready. Paul says to him, be ready in season and out of season. Uh, literally, literally in good times and bad times, uh, but in season and out of season is a, is a great translation. question, though, is in season and out of season for whom? For Timothy? For his hearers? Well, I think Paul's really saying for Timothy. To be ready at all times when it's convenient be ready even when it's inconvenient. Certainly when, when Timothy's excited and on fire and things are going well and he's got a great sermon and he can't wait to go preach, but also those times when his head hurts, the sermon just didn't come together and he's really discouraged. To be ready at all times. To be ready when it's convenient, when it's inconvenient. To be ready when he feels great. To be ready when he doesn't feel so great. In other words, at all times, he is to be ready. He goes on to say, continuing to, uh, to, 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 to instruct him in preaching the word, that he needs to be pretty pointed. You know, preaching the word of God, preaching the gospel, is not a matter of, of getting up and, and saying vague 
warm fuzzies that you go away thinking, well, you know, it made me feel nice, but I don't really know what he was talking about. Uh, that's not preaching. That's not declaring the word, the whole counsel of God. It has to be pointed, and that's what he says um, there also in verse 2. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Various aspects. There needs to be the reproving. There needs to be reason, argumentation. There needs to be rebuke of sin, confronting moral behavior. There needs to be also, he says to him, exhortation, appealing to those to whom he speaks. So that it's, it's quite pointed. People don't go away wondering what on earth he's getting at. They know exactly what he's talking about. They may not like it, but they know what he has said. He has to be patient. Preaching the word requires patience with complete patience. Because... While somebody's life might change rather quickly, usually that's not the case. Uh, in the case of an unbeliever, talking with them, maybe going over the same arguments again and again, uh, listening to their objections again and again and continuing to go back to the gospel, just being patient, waiting for God to work. Or with Christians, the same thing, being patient, uh, looking for God to be at work in their lives, but maybe waiting a long time to, to see that happen, to see growth or to see sin dealt with or to see maturity begin to appear. It needs to be patient. Anytime we're working with people uh, in whatever setting that might be, patience is required. But certainly in, in Timothy's ministry, in the ministry of preaching the word, of being patient, of waiting, waiting for seed planted to germinate. It may be weeks, months, maybe years. And then he also says to be informative. Notice he says with patience, complete patience, and teaching. Now, preaching has the idea of heralding, of declaring a message, of announcing good news, in the case of the gospel, good news. But there also is in preaching the element of teaching. Of, of communicating solid content, information. That's why, uh, typically from this pulpit, we, we go through the Bible, uh, either going through a book of the Bible, a passage at a time, or if it's just an isolated passage, at least looking at that passage. What does the Bible say? What's the content here? It tickles me that in the, uh, in the, uh, the Westminster Directory for Worship, there is a prohibition against the minister indulging himself in extemporaneous harangues, which I take to mean lots of exhortation, lots of yelling with little content. Uh, unfortunately, some, some so-called preaching is that way. Uh, it's, it's either working people up or beating people down, but it's not teaching people much of anything. Uh, the scriptures tell us that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, by replacing bad thinking, sinful thinking, rebellious thinking with right thinking, godly thinking, biblical thinking. And as we, our minds are changed by God's word, as our thinking changes, our, our speaking and our behavior begins to change as, as well. So he says with complete patience and teaching. There needs to be declaration and announcement, but yes, at the same time, that, that declaration needs to consist largely in teaching, in instruction, in communicating the content of God's word. 
That's why those who hold the office of elder should be able to teach. One of the qualifications Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 3, which means both having an adequate understanding of the Scriptures and adequate ability to communicate that in a way that edifies others. So these are some of the things that Paul goes or goes through with Timothy to preach the word, but then what that means specifically, being ready. There may be times when it's just not easy to do that, but he needs to be ready to do it anyway, uh, and to be pointed and to be patient, to be informative. Now that's true for elders, but ideally that should be true for every believer. That any believer is able to declare the gospel to somebody else, to tell them about Jesus, to announce good news. It may not be from a pulpit. Maybe over a table at Starbucks or whatever, but needs to be able to declare the word, be able to speak somewhat pointedly to the realities of the gospel and how it affects our lives. Um, certainly to be patient. Uh, hopefully we understand the gospel, the content of it, so that we can explain it. Not just, well, I asked Jesus into my heart. Well, what does that mean? What did Jesus do for you? How does Jesus save you? Can you explain what happened on Calvary's cross and why that results in salvation to those who believe in Jesus. And so, so being able to, to teach, uh, it's incumbent upon elders, but it's desirable for any believer. So it's a serious task. It's a specific task. It's also an urgent task. Look what he says in verses 3 and 4. But the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Now, that future tense, we've seen that before, uh, for example, chapter 3, verse 1, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Well, there already were. Paul is, is telling Timothy, don't expect that that's ever going to go away. They will continue to come. And that future has the same sense here. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Well, that was true in Paul's ministry. Certainly has already been true in Timothy's ministry. But that will continue, and we need to be prepared for that, and certainly continues to the present day. Having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. Passion. So we get itching ears, which is a most delightful expression, uh, even if it is in a bad context. But their ears want to be tickled. They want to be satisfied with hearing the things that they want to hear. That's why Paul says they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Let's tell them what they want to hear. Dear friends, if you never hear something from this pulpit or a Sunday school teacher or in your own reading of the Word of God that bothers you, that disturbs you, maybe that angers you, are you just listening to someone who tells you what you want to hear? You know, when we encounter God's Word, yes, there will be plenty of times when it comforts us and consoles us, but there also should be times when it bothers us because it points out sin in our lives, because it points out areas where we have fallen and are falling short of the glory of God, areas that we need to change, areas in which we need to repent, areas in which we need to restructure the way we speak or the way we think or the way we Live, And that's not easy. And that can hurt. And we may be angry before we come around to the point where we say, you know, I hate to admit it, but he's right. I don't like that, but it's true. And the Bible is always chiseling away the unchristlike elements of our lives, sculpting us to look more like Christ. And at times that will be uncomfortable. 
That's why it's dangerous if, some, if, a, if a minister says something you don't like to just disregard it. He may be wrong, but go to the scriptures and see if he's right. Rather than saying, well, I'm going to go find a church where they don't say that. Church, it'll tell me what I want to hear. Tell me how good I am. Tell me all I can do, all I can achieve, all I can be. Well, the Bible does tell us some of those things, but it also says some difficult things as well. So we need to be aware of itching ears. Um, I think we've seen a, a huge example of that this week with this whole prophecy, so-called, that the world is going to end yesterday. Um, there are a lot of people that want to believe that. And I would love for that to happen, love for Christ to return. The problem is Jesus said nobody knows. And to have the idea that the Bible is some complicated code where if you just have the right mathematical formula, you can decipher when Jesus is coming back is ridiculous. The Bible is meant to communicate, not obscure. The Bible isn't playing games if you can just figure out the secret code. I mean, you read it, what it's saying is what it's saying. So we want to be careful that we don't just tune in to people that tell us what we want to hear. Sometimes it's a good idea to read authors or even to listen to people you disagree with, Christians, but maybe from a different point of view, because they may have something to say that you need to hear. And you want to be careful. They hold to strange positions on things, but at the same time, we want to be careful that we're not just looking for teachers to suit our passions and tell us what we like to hear. Jesus is coming back. Absolutely. But for someone to say that he's absolutely got it nailed down, and this is not only the day but the hour that it's going to happen, if you know your Bible at all, you should know to run fast from that kind of teaching. Not only itching years, but wandering years. Look at verse 4. And we'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. See, the danger is, on the one hand, they don't want to hear the truth, and they go to those who will teach them what's according to their passions, but the end result is they're not even satisfied with that, and they just turn aside from the truth entirely. They won't even listen to it. And they just wander off into what Paul calls myths, just silliness. And that's also something to be aware of. So it's an urgent task, because people's well-being in this world and the world to come is at stake. And Paul presses that upon Timothy. Uh, it's urgent because we may have windows of opportunity now that we may not have in, in the future. Yeah. may have an opportunity for a conversation. Someone's heart may be softened at this moment. You're able to talk to them. That may not be the case. That's why we don't presume on future opportunities. So it's a serious task. It's a specific task. Paul says it's an urgent task. But then finally, it's also a very personal task. Look at verse 5. As for you, now here we're back to one of Paul's favorite expressions here as he talks about the false teachers and so forth. But then as he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 10, you, however, literally, but you, Timothy. Uh, and then he says it again in verse 14 of chapter 3, but as for you. And here again, he's comparing these people with itching ears, wandering ears. But then in verse 5, Timothy, but you. Let's get back to you, Timothy. Tells him several things. Always be sober-minded. Don't let your thinking get led astray on tangents or on fanciful ideas, but always be sober-minded. The NIV renders it 
loosely but accurately, keep your head. You know, don't, don't panic, don't get frantic. Be sober-minded, clear-thinking, level-headed, level-headed. Probably a good way to put it. Endure suffering. Now, he's already talked to him about, about this, Paul, in his own life, and certainly for Timothy's life. Uh, verse 11, chapter 1, 111, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Uh, Paul suffered. Timothy is, has and will suffer. Uh, but to endure it for the sake of the gospel, to endure it patiently, to endure it for the sake of those with itching ears who need to hear the truth but don't want to hear it and react against Timothy the way that Jesus' hearers reacted against him, uh, which was to crucify him because they didn't want to hear what he had to say. But just because they don't want to hear it doesn't mean that Timothy should stop declaring it. The in-season and out-of-season applies to them. Uh, it means declare it when they want to hear it, declare it when they don't want to hear it as well. Evangelize. Do the work of an evangelist. Uh, the word evangel, uh, the, the, the Greek word, means good news, a good message. Uh, well, do the work of an evangelist. Spread that good message, uh, Timothy. And then last, in somewhat summary form, fulfill your ministry. So this is a, it comes back to a very personal task. And that's true for any elder. It's true for any Christian. Uh, that is something that we ourselves must be engaged in, either formally or informally, uh, in these various ways. To be level-headed, to be willing to suffer, uh, to do all we can to spread the good news of Jesus, and in all, fulfill the ministry to which God has called us. Which is what? Well... What is your calling? What has God called you to do? What is the, the task? Well, it's usually more than one. It might be your vocation by which you earn a living, but it might be that he's called you to be a husband. It might be he's called you to be a wife, called you to be a parent, called you to be a child in the home of your parents, called you to all kinds. Of, he may have called you to be a friend to somebody that you've just met, started talking to, and you realize they're as lost as lost can be. And you think, well, why has God put that person in my life as a Christian? Well, in all these different areas, what Paul says would apply to fulfill your ministry, to do the things that God calls you to do as a follower of Christ in those contexts, to recognize the seriousness uh, of the task and, and what ultimately is at stake, to recognize the specific nature of it. As Christians, we are called to make known the good news of Christ to others in various settings and as a church together, to recognize the urgency of it, of open opportunities, of heaven and hell in the balance. And then finally, that it's a personal task, which means a couple of things. On the one hand, it's not something I just say, well, others will do that. Well, God puts you in contact with people. God puts you in certain places that he hasn't put me or other people. And also to recognize that it's not something that ultimately happens so much through programs, organization, as useful as those things can be, but through you, as a person, a follower of Jesus Christ, as the Lord brings you in contact with other people. And so Paul charges Timothy, formally, fulfill your ministry. But the Scriptures charge every one of us in those tasks to which God has called us, those opportunities in which God has placed us, fulfill your ministry. Let's pray. Father, that we would do it. 
Uh, Lord, increase our zeal, increase our faith, increase our burden for those who are lost, increase our confidence in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives. Father, indeed, grant us patience when we don't see anything happen in somebody's life. Grant us patience when even we ourselves seem to be taking one step forward and two steps back. Father, we thank you ultimately, though, that you are at work in us and you are at work through us. Lord, let us see the joy, the delight of your being at work through us to the salvation of others and all to the glory of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.